Introducing Brian Breaker, the biggest icon in wrestling. Daniel Ross. This is the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. What is going on? What are you doing? We will not go quietly into the night. Hang on! Houston, you have a problem. Boom shakalaka! I'm sweating like a pig here. It's a long time. Mr. Phoenix! Eat the pizza. Hello again, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. It is a Saturday morning. We're up early. We're ready to bring you some more Saturday morning nostalgia here on episode 14. I am Brian Breaker, and of course, joining me as always, my good friend Daniel Cross. Daniel, are you ready for some Saturday morning nostalgia? I'm always ready for nostalgia. I just finished up a bowl of uh, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, and uh, Saturday morning, pants are encouraged, but they are optional. Oh, man, I do miss that CTC, one of my favorite cereals. Ah, uh, uh, delicious. We actually covered that on episode <laughs> two, so check out our archives. Um, we have have 13 episodes in the archives now, so it's building up. Of course, last week we talked all about Mick Foley, a, a huge uh, favorite wrestler for both of us. We shared a lot of stories about memories of him, and you, of course, met Mick a few times and everything in between, so make sure to check that out in our archives. Uh, but this week... Uh, well, first of all, before we, last week we kind of got in a hurry and we didn't t- touch on your uh, plug of the week. So do you have a plug of the week for last uh, week? Do you want to throw one? Yeah, actually, you know what? I got one. How about uh, for a plug of the week, curb stop, uh, what is it, curb stop, decals or customs or – Curb stop, anyway, curb stop I just, city I, decals. Yeah, there you go. You know it better than I do. But, yeah, I just got some uh, Harley Race decals. I'm working on a Funko Pop custom as well as a Hasbro custom. Uh, the Funko Pop one I did have to trim. I, I ordered the retro, uh, the Hasbro stickers for that one. And ha- uh, Funko Pops are pretty small, so I did have to trim up a little bit to make them fit. But uh, anyway, man, they're they're great. They look fantastic. Yeah, it's kind of a cool thing because you think about it, it with decals, like that kind of makes anything possible, right, as far as customs are concerned. Um yeah. I know I know a big custom and if people don't know this is decals of like tattoos gear that you can add to a wrestling figure and uh, or like in in your case a Funko Pop and I know uh, a big one was always um Owen Hart right they never really made Owen Hart figures so he has all the decals for Owen Hart singlets so if you're able to just paint a singlet a solid color you can get the decals and make Owen Hart and get a custom head from you know, Mark Cochran or Warsman or any of these guys, and you can make your own own heart. So it's it's kind of crazy the things you can do with custom figures nowadays. Yeah, my only complaint is they look a little too good. So, I mean, those yeah. of you who knew Harley, you know, even back when he was wrestling, you know, those tattoos were pretty well faded. Yeah. You know, there wasn't much color color left on him, even in the 70s and 80s. Right. Um, so, you know, the ones I got are very brightly colored, which, again, they look fantastic. Um but they're not quite, you know, what Harleys look like. But that's okay. I, I I definitely dig them. They look great. So, yeah, check them out sometime if you're into customs. And and, and those decals are usually relatively pretty cheap. So um, Yeah, I got those for like five bucks. And they give you – yeah, you get uh, – so you get two sets just in case, you know, you mess up or which one set awesome. doesn't work out. So, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a great – 
that's a great marketing thing they do. So, yeah, it was like five bucks for two sets, you know. So, yeah, good to go there. Oh, and I also, I didn't use them because I'm doing the NWA Harley, but uh, that set also came with his decals for his uh, trunks and boots for the king. Oh, nice. So the, the gold the gold crowns, the uh, I think there was even a silver crown on there for his boots. That's awesome. Um, Maybe I'll use them down the road. Not sure, but yeah. So it came with both arm tattoos on the forearms, the eagle on the left shoulder, and then a bunch of king decals for the trunks. That's awesome. Yeah, I I think they're really cool. And these water slide decals, they kind of apply almost like a temporary tattoo, don't they? Yeah, yeah. It's really easy. You cut them out best you can, like as close to the design as you can. Throw them in a cup of water for like ten se- uh, seconds. Let them set. And then they they just slide right off the paper right onto the figure. So yeah, and you, yeah, they work and out then great. You kind of place it how you want, it and then let it dry, right? Yep. And then uh, you can order. I think they have the three types you can order is retro, jacks, and Mattel. And I think so. You got retros, the smallest jacks. I think is the biggest, right? And then Mattel is somewhere there in the middle. So it's definitely a cool idea. So if anyone's ever looking to do their own customs, that's definitely the person to hit up for sure. Well, and I even mentioned, too, like some of these maximum sweat wrestlers that I like, you know, that a lot of them came like Billy Gunn. It comes with just plain colored tights. So, yeah. you know, I've even toyed with the idea of ordering some Billy Gunn decals and putting them on, putting them on those maximum sweat wrestlers. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, there's lots of lots of fun things you can do. Yeah, it's definitely a fun idea. That's that's for sure. Um, so definitely check out Curb Stomp City decals. Some great stuff over there. And he's updating stuff all the time, which is really cool. I know, like, anytime someone has new gear, usually that's up on the store in a day or two, which is pretty fun. So if, uh, you know, oh, yeah. one of your favorites. You can find anything on there. Yeah, if one of your favorites debuts some new gear, yeah, you could probably make it happen very, very quickly, which is cool. Um, this week we're talking all about Nickelodeon game shows. So this was a huge thing in the late 80s, early 90s. We don't see it as much nowadays, but... Nickelodeon was kind of destination television for our generation, safe to say. And these game shows are a huge part of that. Um, I'll be honest, uh, when I first got Paramount Plus, the streaming service, the fact that it had the Nickelodeon game shows on there was like a huge, like, oh man, I can watch all the episodes of Double Dare and Legends of the Hidden Temple and Guts that I want. That was a huge (laughs) selling point for me. How do they hold up? They're fun for what they are. They're just, I don't know, they're, it's not a binge watch show, right? I mean, they're still fun. Yeah. Oddly enough, I've tried to let my niece and nephew watch them, and I can tell they just have no interest at all. I think a lot of it's (laughs) because it's so dated looking, like it looks so 80s as far as the hairstyles. And even the prizes, like, that they get, that's usually the funniest thing to me because... It just, it's like, you get the brand new Garfield phone, and it's like, that's so lame. (laughs) But at the time, it was a big deal, you know? Like, what's the budget on this show anyway? $20 an episode? (laughs) Right. Well, like, what's funny on uh, Legends of the Hidden Temple, uh, we're going to dive into each of these shows, but that one, you know, had six teams. They all had a different color shirt and an animal mascot. And the first thing they did was, like, this race, right, across this thing of water. And two teams got eliminated. And then, like, the four teams would go to the steps of knowledge. And two teams would get eliminated. And then they had the two teams in the finals. Whoever won that, they went into the temple. And so 
like after the first round, I'd be like, all right, teams not moving on to the second round uh, are not going way empty-handed. Here's what we got for them. Nerds candy. And it would be like, they're literally give, giving these kids a box of nerds. Like, that's what they get. Like, what? <laughs> it's so it's so <laughs> insane to me. Like, that's their prize package. Not a brand new pair of shoes. No, you get a, you get a box of nerds. Thanks for coming. See you next time. It was probably like they forgot to get a prize that day, so the producer's like, oh, crap. Hey, here's, here's $5. Go across the street to the gas station and grab some candy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's just so funny. Um, but I mean, obviously, Nickelodeon had a lot of game shows in that era. Do you? What were your some of your favorites and memories of these game shows? Uh, probably my favorite was Guts. I was a pretty athletic kid growing up. I always enjoyed sports and all those things. You know, played played uh, outside all summer long on my bike and wiffle ball and all those things. So. Yeah, Guts was always one. I just remember it being the show when I watched it. I so badly wanted to compete, you know, in those games, you know, like the basketball one. And, you know, you always envision yourself as being, oh, man, I would totally like, win that whole competition. You know, not not uh, taking into consideration the studio audience that would make you nervous, the cameras. Uh, having no uh, previous training on bungee apparatuses. <laughs> but you're looking at it. You're, you're looking at it like, I could dunk a basketball, so I could totally do that. Yeah, well, and then they even had, like, uh, do you remember when they would do, like, the upside-down bike or whatever? They would, like, it would be, like, a oh, yeah. upside-down. Yeah, they had, or they had they had a bunch of different ones, and some of them, like, they would, like, have to do, they called it, like, the uh, invisible boat where they had to just paddle away their way across without a boat in this big pool. Um, There's always different different games on there, but, yeah, Guts is one I have not watched in a long time, but I always enjoyed that one. Yeah, and I, I always loved the crag at the very end, the big mountain they had to climb up, and then you get a piece of the crag the as uh, crag. as the winner. Ag crag, yeah. So that always, uh, to me, that that looked always just more fun than anything, like all the smoke and lighting and climbing up a mountain. Like it just looked like a blast. So, oh yeah, yeah. Guts was definitely one of my one of my favorites. And Guts. then they went to Global Guts, which I always thought that was a really cool concept, where they flew in. You know, these kids, supposedly, I guess, I don't know. I don't know if anybody checked their passports, but <laughs> supposedly they were they were kids from all over the world. I almost wonder, do you think they were? Do you, I don't remember. Maybe they did interviews with them, and obviously maybe they were speaking different languages. Or do you think they just, like, emailed a bunch of schools and like, hey, we need some foreign exchange students? <laughs> or do you think they actually went through the process of getting these kids, you know, visas and passports? And this seems like a lot of expense, but... It's hard to say. I don't know. Um, nothing would surprise me, but I remember them doing the little interview segments because they would always like get to know this person, right? Like, kind of, they tell you who they are, where uh-huh. they're from, and stuff. And I remember the kids being like, "From I'm from you know Barcelona, Spain, or I'm from you know Australia." So I I feel like they really were, but how they came in contact with them, I I, I could I would never know. I feel like. The second you go away from it being domestic is going to be like so much more expensive and hard to pull off. So it kind of was oh, shocking yeah. to me that they that they did go that route because regular guts to me was fun. I, they didn't global guts was great. Don't get me wrong, but I don't feel like they needed to do that necessarily. So it was always interesting that they pulled that off because, like you said, like I was saying, like it's definitely I, a much different you know landscape of like passports and all that other stuff. I always enjoyed like the global guts because they would do like all season long, they would have this medal count. Yeah. So like, you For know, it's like right now the United States 
it's not like the Olympics. You know, right now the United States has 23 gold medals, 14 silver medals, and five bronze. While Argentina is, uh, you know, they have 20 gold medals and whatever, 22 bronze and whatever it may be. But I always thought that was really cool. They would always do a leaderboard update and show show where your country, you know, was landing. I don't remember. I remember definitely America was always like pretty much always number one. Yeah. But uh, I don't remember who was on our heels. It was probably, who knows, Canada or something. <laughs> probably something like that. Um but yeah, Guts was definitely a great show. I haven't watched that in a long time, but I it's I was always funny cuz uh, Michael Malley, the host of that show, uh-huh. was just an actor cuz he I remember him getting on a sitcom called Yes Dear shortly thereafter uh-huh. and I'd see him like, "Wait a minute, that's freaking Michael Malley. That's the guy from Guts. <laughs> like, I know that guy." And and now he's actually the executive producer and the showrunner of the show Heels, which is all about pro wrestling. I don't know if you've seen that or not, but yeah, he's the guy running that show. You, uh, do you remember the ref that we all had crushes on? Moira, Moira Cork? Was that her name? I think so. Okay. I know him. there was Mike O'Malley and that he would always, he would always take it over to the ref. Mo. And he she was, you know, Mo. this good looking. Mo. Yeah, that's what, that's, uh, that's what I did sound right. So Mo, I just remember she was right up there with one of my childhood crushes like Topanga or, uh, Kelly Kapowski. I always liked the, the Mo. Speaking of childhood crushes, another Nickelodeon game show, Figure It Out, featuring Summer Sanders. You remember her? Yes, Summer Sanders. Yeah, dear. actually, I was going to say Summer. I was like, for some reason, Summer sounded right. But, yeah, she was a different one. Uh, yeah, she was like an but, Olympic uh, swimmer or something. And she ended up uh, okay. that, that Nickelodeon uh, game show gig, which, yeah, I always thought she was, like, smoking hot. I don't remember Figure It Out as much uh, as I do other game shows. What what was the premise behind that one? I remember the name. So Figure It Out, they would have a, they would have a kid on there who had some type of special ability, and they would word it in a very okay. unique way, like I am an expert pinball player or something like that. And so, however many words it was, was would be on this board, and you had a panel of like four Nickelodeon stars like Keenan and Kel or Pete oh yeah I do remember that so it was always one, like all out or uh, all that people <laughs> yeah one time the giant was on there one time Chris Jericho was on there which was weird and uh, uh. anyway so they would get clues to to help them guess they kind of go one by one and try to guess and if they, they there's also a secret slime action so if they said if they said a specific word or did something they get the panelists would get slimed um yeah, it was uh, it was ridiculous because some of these kids had like these talents that made like no sh- no sense. Like this one kid invented. I remember this very specifically. He invented a shirt that had a little cup on the inside and a straw that went from the inside of the cup all the way to his mouth. And he's like, "I invented yeah. the beverage shirt or something." Like this way, if you can get a little drink and like put it. I was like, "What? Like why would you wear that? That's so stupid." But <laughs> it was just stuff to basically get kids on TV. But yeah, it wasn't the best game show. And this one came after. I felt like it came probably more like ninety six, ninety seven, and it was definitely after. You know, Double Dare and all those kind of hit, but it was still in the same, the same vein, I guess. So I know Double Dare's uh, one of your favorites. Is it your favorite Nickelodeon game show, or are you more of a Legends of the Hidden Temple type of guy? I so I really liked all of these. I love Double Dare. I love Legends of the Hidden Temple. I loved Guts. 
And honestly, I'm a big Nick Arcade fan, too. I always thought that one was fun. I just thought that it was cool okay. that they were all unique. Another one was What Would You Do? Because that was also hosted by Mark Summers. But it was, like, a lot goofier because they had, like, it was basically a studio audience. And it was just weird stuff. And uh, But it wasn't really as fun as Double Dare. But they had, like, the pie chair where, like, the four pies would hit the person in the face and they had a few th- different uh-huh. things like that. But I, I would say Double Dare was probably one of my favorites just because I love the big obstacle course at the end. Yeah, and he had to like reach into the nose and grab the flag and dig through slime and fly, find flags. And yeah, that, that always looked like a blast. It, it, it's funny rewatching that on uh, Paramount Plus because you can see how just like uncoordinated these kids are. And, like, they're slipping and falling. Cause it's, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's slime, so it's all slippery, right? And he's, like, trying to – Mark Summers is trying to guide them. No, 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 over here, over here, over here. Get up there, get up there, get up the slide, climb up the slide. <laughs> like he's trying to, like, get them to win, and they're just so clueless most of the time. It's very, very funny. Yeah, and I always thought uh, Double Dare was really smart about how they started off their show. So, like, an adult game show, you know, you introduce the host, and then you introduce the – you know, if you're watching uh, – oh, I can't remember. But anyway – they introduce all the players and stuff like that. But with Double Dare, they, like, started immediately into the action before they did all the introductions. So it's like, hey, we've got these two people over here, these two people over here. They're going to throw a hot dog across the room and try and catch it on their head. All right, go. And then they start, so, you know, within 30 seconds, you're already playing this uh, game, you know, that really hooks little kids and catch captures their attention. Oh, yeah. And then after the initial game, then they go in and, hi, I'm, you know, Mark Summers and, here over here on the red team, we've got so-and-so. Yeah. So well, that, uh, I always was, thought that was really smart how they started off their game shows. I love the, like, the first line was, on your mark, get set, go. And then they kind of broke it down. Okay, these two teams are fighting for control over on Double Dare. And they kind of, yeah. It was definitely a smart strategy uh-huh. to get people kind of invested within two or three seconds, you know. So definitely a smart strategy. Uh Legends of the Hidden Temple, I think, was such a unique show because it was different than almost all of them. Um, I always wanted to be on that show. I wanted to be a Silver Snake because I thought that was awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, just super fun. And then Olmec and then the running the temple that no one could ever win. Like, I don't think I ever saw a team ever win the temple. But just uh-huh. such a such a cool show and such a cool concept of... You know, like you said, the steps, like I was talking before, the steps of knowledge or some of the games that they play, just a really, really fun concept. Yeah, I, the only thing I was not a fan of, because as a kid, I hated this. I hated when game shows or TV shows, children's shows would try to sneak education in on you. Yeah. So, oh, I just remember Omek, he would always ask, like, I don't know, history questions. Or something like that. And I was like, oh, I see what you're doing, Nickelodeon. You're trying to trick me into learning. Well, that was, that was the big... Street, by the way. Yeah, that was a big concept <laughs> of the steps of knowledge, right? They they would uh, they'd yeah. have the kids on there. They'd kind of give them a brief history of whoever they were discussing that day. And then, yeah, yeah you had to basically kind of learn what he talked about to move on. So, yeah, it was some education brought in. Yeah, I almost protested Sesame Street as a kid just because of that. I'm like, I'm not learning while I watch TV. You're not tricking me. <laughs> yeah, it's always funny. Um, but no, I love I loved Legends of the Hidden Temple. Same reasons. Like, I always wanted to do that that temple run at the very end of it. All the games are really cool. I love the different teams and the, the wacky characters and T-shirts. And, mm-hmm. yeah, it always looked like a blast. I think they tried to 
redo it maybe a few years back. I they may have. they actually I made a, a TV movie of that. Was it a movie? Yeah. Movie, not, okay. Not very good. I did watch it. I was disappointed, but it was it was a fun little rehash, I guess. Uh, actually, you know what? There was actually going to be a Legends of the Hidden Temple show that they were going to bring back, but they were actually going to put people out in like the safari, and it was like a legit thing, like a legit uh-huh. uh, out in Africa. And uh, interesting, because I remember um, a friend of the show named Jordan Zeilinger actually sent to me and Bane like like audition papers to get on the show, and uh, I was like, huh. yeah, I don't know if I actually want to go out in uh you know, out in the middle of nowhere and possibly try to get attacked by temple guards. So I'm going to, I'm looking it up right now to see if that actually ever happened or not. Uh, so you, you and I talked the about temple that. came out in Just... 2021 for one year, 13 episodes. Okay. So yeah, and I never watched so I this. this was, I don't know uh, if it's any good or not. A good thought. What's so that? This was a, a good thought you and I had. Oh, I said you and I had this thought. Um, and I don't, I don't know that if they're going to do it, I think the clock's ticking, but to possibly bring back some of these game shows like Guts or Legends of the Hidden Temple, except bring them back with the original hosts and also the original players. So they were kids, right, in the 90s, and now they're, you know, 30, 40 years old, which is why, you know, the clock is ticking, <laughs> you know. Because I, you probably got to run people through these type of obstacle courses when they're fifty years old. <laughs> but we thought it'd be a really good idea if they could, you know, bring back these original kids. Only nowadays they're, you know, fat, out of shape adults, and then have them try to do some of the same competitions. And then, of course, you could, you know, throw little clo- uh, uh, throwback clips of, "Hey, look at this! This is when you were twelve years old," and you know, stuff like that. We always thought that would be a really fun idea to do. Oh, yeah, I think it would definitely be fun to, to revisit some of this stuff, but uh, it's kind of one of those things, too, where anytime they bring this stuff back later, it's never as successful. You know, it's it's never, never no. the same. They brought back Double Dare probably like 2018, 2019, and Mark Summers was like a consultant on there, and he kind of was on screen, but he wasn't the host, and it wasn't as good. It just didn't have the same feel. Um, and there's something special about that era. Another show I want to bring up, that doesn't quite get the love. Wild and Crazy Kids. Remember that one? Wild and Crazy Kids. Yeah, I remember that one. I I had a kid I went to school with, and we were probably third grade. He claimed he was on Wild and Crazy Kids. I still uh-huh. to this day don't think he. I think he was lying. I don't think he actually was. But he yeah he had a shirt. He's like I was on Wild and Crazy Kids, and I was like. Well, I haven't seen it on TV because it won't it won't come out for a long time. And I'm like, well, I don't believe you. <laughs> I've thought about going and watching all the episodes on Paramount Plus to see if I could like find him on there because I still don't believe that he was actually on Wild and Crazy Kids, but you never know. Oh, that was a great thing back then, though. Before internet, you just lie about anything and no one could prove you wrong. Exactly. Just make up your own stuff. But, awesome. Oh, that was a that was a pretty good show. Yeah, it was fun. It wasn't to me. It wasn't as big as some of the other ones, um, but it was definitely fun. It had its moments. And then uh, another one, Nick Arcade. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. This one was hosted by Phil Moore. Uh-huh. Um, oddly enough, I did a podcast with Phil Moore several years ago. Really? Yeah, I, I reached out to him and was able to get him on Breaker and Main's Power Hour. Oddly enough, which was still kind of weird, but um, really cool guy. And uh, that show was kind of a video game based show, more like arcade style video games. And at the very end, the team 
would actually go into a video game and fight some type of uh, villain, which was kind of unique, especially for the time. And that's definitely a show that they could bring back and kind of update if they wanted to, because it was definitely ahead of its ahead of its time. So what's Phil Moore doing these days? Well, at the time, he was kind of just doing conventions, you know, because he was not really in the public eye anymore. But I was just like, oh, that's really cool that he's still doing yeah. that. And I that's actually one thing I asked him about was um, the Nickelodeon game show trend. And he, he talked about it. He goes, well, you know, typically te- television studios, when something's successful, they're going to keep it going. And I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And he brought up like uh, American Idol. American Idol hit big. And then all these similar shows kind of came out after, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, no different than like Survivor or even like The Bachelor when that came out. Like as goofy of a concept as that was, how many different versions of that do we see where it was like a dating type reality show? So mm-hmm. it makes sense that Nickelodeon had success in Double Dare. So they're like, all right, let's do this, 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 and this, all these different game shows. And basically what he was saying is I guess well- – Several years later, they tried to do other game shows. They never quite hit as big, which is probably why we never saw that trend expand again. I'm like, oh, that does make sense. You know, like when you have success in one area, kind of like I think back to like Batman, the animated series and X-Men. Those were both very popular. So then that led to more cartoons, right? More superhero cartoons because that's popular. So it makes sense that you would continue that trend. Well, I think, too, in the early days of Nickelodeon, this was kind of what put them on the map, too. You know, yeah. they obviously had the original programming and some cartoons and things like that, but I feel like the game shows were just as important to kind of the success of Nickelodeon in the early 90s as, you know, Doug or Clarissa Explains It All or Nick at Night or any of those other things. So, I mean, especially as a kid, you know, I, I mean, your summer vacations before you were old enough to actually – kind of go out on your own and hang out with your friends, you know, when you're 10, 11, 12, I felt like definitely most of my days from the ages of four to 10, you know, were, you know, pretty much filled with uh, Nickelodeon. Well, you're definitely right about that. I mean, I go back to thinking about how summer seems like so much fun, but for me, especially when I was younger, that meant I had to get up and go to my grandma's house while my mom worked, right? Like that was, what summer yep, vacation. that's what I did. Yeah, and so it, it wasn't really like all this outdoor activity like you, you think. It's It wasn't really like that at all. Like I I had to still get up and go to my grandma's house and basically, you know, hope I can entertain myself for the few hours while I'm there because that's what we did. So de- definitely different, you know, not as much like swimming and things like that that people assume, especially in those days. Yep, I would agree. Uh, but as far as the Nickelodeon game shows, there's so many fun ones. Um, a lot of these I haven't watched in a long time, but I kind of am intrigued now after talking about it to get back on Paramount Plus and watch another episode of Nick Arcade, watch another Legends of the Hidden Temple, What Would You Do, Double Dare. Because all these were very, very, uh, very interesting. I do remember one episode of What Would You Do where they had like this this game, because they pull people from the audience. They'd basically play a little game, you know. And they could end up in the pie chair or whatever they called it at the time. And uh, and the game was you had to pick a uh, a door. And they ended up picking door three, which this wrestler came out. And they had a name for him. They tried to make him seem like he was like this world-famous wrestler, but like he wasn't. 
and uh-huh. they had this match in this ring filled with whipped cream, which I always thought was kind of funny. Like this, like father and son had to wrestle this guy in a whipped cream ring. And it's just like, what is going on? It was so weird. It always, uh, I always got a kick out of when TV shows who knew nothing about pro wrestling would try to make a pro wrestling character, and they would always give them just stupid names. Usually the word the in front of something. Yeah. So I remember on the Drew Carey show, they brought Triple H in and uh, they called him, his wrestling name on there was the disciplinarian. Right. And he was supposed to be like this, I don't know, evil principal or something. Yeah, it was always over but, the uh, top. I like you could that. just give these people normal names, you know? It, well, I think that's what people assume with wrestling. It's got to be like, you know, the, I, I remember when I first the, the stomper, the crusher, yeah, the mangler, the... When I first broke into wrestling, I, one of my aunts, you know, not knowing anything about wrestling, is like, so what's your name going to be? And I'm like, I don't know yet. Well, you got to be like the, the demolisher or the smasher. And I'm like, <laughs> right. Or, you know, basically any character from Demolition, right? Um, but now right. I'm like, uh, okay. Right. It, you, you can just tell people don't get wrestling when they suggest stuff like that because they're just... Uh-huh. They just don't understand. But, yeah, it's always interesting, like you said. I remember actually watching an episode of Step by Step when I was a kid. And <clears throat> one of the boys and the dad were, got this radio contest called I Will Do Anything for Super Bowl Tickets because they're trying to win tickets to the Super Bowl and they have to wrestle these two women named Assault and Battery. <laughs> okay, now that actually is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, of course, they look like one's wearing like all American flag and the other one's wearing like all leather. It's like that doesn't really fit at all but it's just kind of funny you know like what <laughs> you know? so when i uh when i was starting out and i hadn't quite so actually my my name daniel cross that's not my legal birth name uh it actually someone had uh, darren wade suggested it like two or three days before my debut because i still hadn't come up with a name yet but uh i remember like it's always kind of embarrassing you know as a pro wrestler you know as you're getting closer to your debut they're like so you're going to, you know, go with your real name. You're going to come up with something else. And uh, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm tossing around a few names. I'm like, so what are you thinking? I was like, uh, I was actually kind of thinking Danny Livewire. <laughs> so <clears throat> knowing what my personality would be. So, I mean, yeah, knowing my personality, that would not have fit me. So I'm glad they made fun of me and I didn't go with that. They're well, like Danny Livewire. That's so lame. It's it's nineties, right? Like I think sometimes you just don't know uh-huh. which route to go. Sometimes, so yeah, no, I. It, but it, it makes sense. Do you have sense. any names you were toying with? Um, I kind of had the name Brian Breaker picked out early on, so I kind of wanted that, but I wasn't sure if they would like go for it. But Harley was like, because when I pitched it to him, he's like, "It's your name. Pick whatever you want. You know, like you're the one that has to stick with it." I'm like, "Oh, okay," and so. Um, but I remember we had a guy there named Jeff, he went by Jeff strong and his first match is coming up and his name was Jeff laggy L a G E. It looked like Lage, but it, he okay. said, no, it's laggy. And I'm like, well, that's not good. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, what if you just went by Jeff Lage? Like I, I was like, and I was like, the only reason is, is that that's what people are going to think when they see it. He's like, yeah, I don't know. And it's like literally the day of the show, he doesn't know what to go by. And finally, one of the guys is like, why don't you just be like Jeff Strong? And he's like, 
okay, and it's and it stuck. You know, it was just yeah. sometimes I think it's the simplest of names that that kind of work, right? It almost it always sounds better when someone else gives it to you instead of you because you're always second guessing. Oh, that's so stupid. Why would I come up with? But if someone just says something, like, oh yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, I remember another one I had. Uh, this was before I kind of decided I wouldn't go with this one before I even entered wrestling school. But for at least a year before wrestling school, I was thinking of the name Dan Von Ripper. Nice. And I was thinking, because it was kind of a play on uh, Rob Van Dam. Yeah. So I was thinking, Dan Von Ripper, that sounds kind of cool. What I didn't realize is DVR, <laughs> and that was actually before DVR. <laughs> right. DVR came out, because uh, this would have been like 2004. So I don't know, maybe DVR was around, I don't know. But anyway. So here's the best one, though. I always got to bring this as far as initials go. We had Stunning Tyler Dunning, which was always a good name, but he he made up a bunch of shirts that said STD. <laughs> and he would try it. to get the crowd to chant STD, STD. <laughs> Amazing. That was always pretty good. Yeah, I think stuff like that is... But anyway, we're we're way off from Nickelodeon game shows. Yeah, but uh, but again, it's always so hard to kind of think of like something that's like, the perfect name. Actually, another fun wrestling crossover was Steve Urkel and Carl Winslow on Family Matters. They wrestled oh, yeah. the Bushwhackers. They were the Psycho Twins. And uh, I've actually yeah, talked to uh, I talked to Jason Wolf a couple times. I was like, man, if I could get heads made, you could take an earthquake body for Carl and then a one, two, three kid body for Steve. I could totally get the Psycho Twins. So that's definitely been a uh, want list for me for a while because I think that'd be a lot of fun. Uh, how do some of these things never get made? Like, I would love some site. I'm sure there's like three or four different licensing you would have to get, but you probably have to get Family Matters. You'd probably, uh, I guess you wouldn't have to get the Bushwhackers if you didn't include them. But, uh, yeah, anyway, who knows? If nothing else, it's like Funko Pop makes everything in the world. Why haven't they made these by now? Well, that, that's what's weird about it, right, is like um, it's so it's almost so obscure, like, that you're like, man, I wonder when, when that's going to ever happen. Because it's it, that's what's fun about like those one-off episodes where like they look different. Like Honestly, the Office Funko Pops have been one of my favorite lines. I don't collect them anymore, but to me it was kind of cool. Like one episode, Dwight is, you know, this character named Recyclops for Earth Day. And they made like a Recyclops Funko Pop. I'm like, that's fantastic. Like that's the fun stuff is like the weird one-offs that – aren't really necessary for a collection, but it's a nice addition to any collection. And, uh, yeah, they could, I, I yeah. actually remember seeing a list where Steve Urkel was listed as a Funko pop. And I don't know if yeah. licensing fell through because I assume you have to license like Jalil white, the actor plus family matters to make that happen. I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I don't know. Or he just wasn't comfortable with more Steve Urkel merchandise. I, I don't know. I think for me, I think especially, as all these guys are getting older, like I know he was totally against being referred to as Steve Urkel for a while. He hated it. But I think as these guys get older and the paychecks quit coming in, they're like, yeah, maybe Steve Urkel wasn't so bad. <laughs> You're right. I, well, cause I think they start to realize like, man, this is preventing me from getting other roles. But then at the same time, you're like, well, you know, I can hit the comic con circuit and make money, you know, by just being this character sometimes, you know? So there's, there's other, Kind of like the Power Rangers, right? None of them really did anything else besides Power Rangers, but now they realize they can go to these comic con circuits and make big money just to sign autographs and like, hey, I was in Power Rangers. Nice to meet you. You know. 
yeah, no kidding, freaking forty dollars for an autograph or sixty with a uh, for a picture, or maybe you can get a autograph and a picture for eighty dollars. Yeah, it's just a lot. Cre- so here is a question. Maybe you would know. So nowadays, because of all these this pricing with comic cons and all of that, is it still a deal where if I'm running an indie show and I want to bring in, say, Mick Foley, going back to last week? Do they charge this stuff now at indie shows? Like, do they charge $40 for an autograph, or is every indie show different, or is it... Because when we were coming up, you know, 04 to whatever, that's when I started, you know, Harley would bring a guy in, like Mick Foley, hey, I'll give you $2,000, you know, I'll cover your plane ticket, you come here, sell 8x10s for $10 each, autograph them, we'll do a deal halfway through the show where you can get in the ring, we'll sell pictures, Polaroids for $10 each, and that was it. And now, has that all changed? Is that still a thing? What do you know about it? So there was a guy locally here that did some promoting, and every person does a different deal. I know one show he brought in Jack Swagger shortly after he left WWE. Jack Swagger, I won't won't give money details, but he said, okay, I'll come in Uh for this much money, which was a lot. And he goes, but you can keep all the merch money. Meaning you can make shirts, nice. you can make eight by tens, you can do pictures in the ring, the whole deal. And he asked me about it and I was like, well, dude, if you charge $20 an eight by 10, you'll probably make a lot of your money back pretty quickly. Like I know, uh, in 2000, I think it was nine, uh, Harley brought Brett Hart in for one of our bigger shows. And BJ made up like I don't know how many Bret Hart 8x10s, like 300. And it was the one from like uh-huh. the book cover that he had, you know, with him holding the title. And they sold out yeah. of them, 20 bucks a piece. Now, at the time, $20 wow. for an autograph seemed like a lot of money. Based on today's standards, that's basically nothing. And, yeah, they sold out of them. So well, No, because you that's not even buying a picture. Like, if you bring your, if you bring your toy, your Bret Hart toy or something to be autographed, it might cost you $50 to get that autograph. Not to mention the 30 or 40 you might have spent on that figure. Well, and I think a lot so, of that... Yeah, it's nuts right now. I think a lot of that has to do with... Uh, every situation's different, right? Like, Because I think the Comic-Con, to bring in a guy, cost X amount of dollars. And so I think they make their money back by charging... And I, again, I don't know how that works. Like, I would assume, like, if you're a Comic-Con promoter and you bring in a Bret Hart to do autographs, you either... A, get all the money he charges, and you have a guy there collecting it, or you get a percentage, right? So I assume each deal is a little bit different, but I but I would bet if you're if you're the promoter and Bret Hart's like, okay, I'll come in and sign autographs for five grand, he's thinking it doesn't matter what I charge, I made my money, and you're just thinking, okay, I hope he makes yeah ten thousand dollars worth of autographs, and I you know, made my money back and then some, that's where my profit comes in. So that, that's my assumption. I know uh, you mentioned, Polaroids. Well, you know, here's the other thing too, go ahead. with, with Comic-Con or even go back to, you know, uh, WrestleMania wasn't too long ago, but you go back to uh, WrestleCon. I always think as I'm looking at this, all these wrestlers that are lined up for WrestleCon and I'm thinking like some of these, you know, they're all, all charging anywhere from 30 to $50. And, you know, it's like, okay, Kevin Nash, he's going to make a decent amount of money. A lot of people are going to want, you know, a Kevin Nash autograph. But if you got a referee over here, you know, is he really going to make, you know, $30 an autograph? Because it's like if I'm a if I'm a fan and I've got, you know, I don't know, $500 to spend, 
I'm going to be like, okay, I'm going to go wait in line for, for Kevin Nash and, uh, you know, maybe X-Pac or, you know, maybe if they're Kenny Omega, you know, if you like Kenny Omega, I don't like Kenny Omega. But anyway, just throwing out names, you right. know. By the time I, you know, the other guys that are charging, maybe they're charging a little less, but they're so far down the list, I can't imagine they get a lot of, a lot of business. You know what I mean? I imagine they're sitting at those tables pretty lonely, <laughs> you know, most, most of the days. So the flip side of that, you know, with a wrestling show, you're bringing in Bret Hart. You know, Bret Hart's the only person, you know, on that show making money that day from, from merch. You know, you're not competing against, right. you know, a hundred other Comic-Con people. And a lot of times, you know, you go to Comic Con, you might only have money for, you know, one person if you're if you're into that at all. So, you know, you have to pick between, you know, out of a hundred people or whatever whoever's there, you know, you gotta pick, you know, who am I gonna actually want to get a picture with and an autograph. So I don't know, I wonder if any of that has has to play play in at all too. It has to to some degree. I, I can't I, I don't know specifically. I do know this. Um one of the promoters I worked for was trying to do the Polaroids thing because that was big, you know, and people like we had several people like, Hey, I'll pay, but can I just take it with my phone? Because like, it's a Polaroid picture that that sucks. Yeah. And so finally we were like, why don't you just offer the wrestler in the ring and you can take a picture with their, your own phone. Yeah. Like, and just let people pay that way. And people did. So I was like, well, that's better, you know, because, like, the the fun thing is getting to be in the ring with the wrestler, right? So the Polaroid aspect, you don't need. Just let them do it with their phone, and that's that. And he's like, yeah, okay, that's a cool idea. So we, we've done that stuff before, too. So, and that makes sense. So I just – I pulled up WrestleCon real quick. So, okay, you got Goldberg, right? So Goldberg's charging, looks like $60 for an autograph, $70 for a picture, mm -hmm. or 120 for both. Right. Okay. So – then you come down to people like Aerostar. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do you know who that is? I don't know who it is. Uh, I don't watch it much them, anymore. I, yeah. Or right next to him is a Aja Kong. Aja Kong. All right. Okay, so yeah. she's $40, $40 and 70. Okay. Not saying these guys aren't stars or big names, but again, if you've got only $500 to spend, how far is that $500, you know, going to go once you go through five or six of your, your favorite wrestlers? You know, well, are not, you really, you know, not, even people like Bill Alfonso, are they going to actually make money, you know, at these things? Well, not only that, like, uh, how many of these guys have figures, right? So if you're wanting a, uh, um, yeah, I, I don't know, a, an autograph for Kevin Nash, well, he's got plenty of figures. Well, does Aja Kong have any figures? I think she's got a, uh, a junk shop dog Popey coming out, but it's not out yet. Or like you mentioned, um, someone else, Bill Alfonso. Yeah. Or like a referee Earl Hebner. He's got a couple of figures now, but not a ton. So Bill Alfonso has a couple coming. They're not out yet. So like, how do you, like, how do you even do that? I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely one of those things where it kind of depends, I think on like what you're wanting autograph, but at the same time, I've never been an autograph guy. It's never been yeah. a thing where I'm like, Hey, I want to get, an autograph on my Kevin Nash elite. I don't care about that. I don't care about autographs. So I don't worry about it. So I think it's just different perspectives for different people. So Cheryl Roberts apparently was there this year. Jake Roberts, ex-wife. That's kind of odd. So again, and then I guess what, she was on what TV is, a couple of times. What is she going to sign a Jake Roberts figure? You know, like, yeah. And if you want it, apparently it's going to be $40. Yeah. So forty dollars for autograph, forty dollars for a picture, or you can get both for sixty. So 
Yeah, I, I just, I don't know. Sure, I mean, some of these people, they're probably just sitting at the table all day. I can't imagine anybody coming to see them, you know. I don't know. I could be wrong. Maybe there's enough money to go around, but I just imagine the uh, the line for Goldberg's a little longer than Cheryl Roberts. Well, exactly. And, but I think, um, again, a lot of it depends on what's out there to be signed, right? And so, you know, like you said, you had $500 to spend, which that's a lot for autographs, right? Like, that's a lot of money. So, you Oh, to, I know. And that's... <laughs> you have to really be... And I'd like, say there's a lot of people cautious. that go to these Comic-Cons, they, they probably only... By the time you pay to get there, by the time you pay the admission, I mean, I imagine most of these people only have fifty or hundred bucks, if that, to spend. Yeah. So that doesn't that doesn't go very far when you're looking for autographs. So, and I I don't know if you've ever been to like an actual like convention or anything. I've been to a couple, and the few that I've been to, there was a Wizard World Comic Con here in Tulsa a few years ago, and um, I met Jason David Frank, the Green Ranger, and he's yep. the only celebrity I was interested in meeting. Because I'm like, I don't care about wrestlers really or, you know, anyone like that. So, like, I, I'm not going to – I'm certainly not going to pay a lot of money for an autograph from Goldberg or The Undertaker. I just It's not my thing. The yeah. Green Ranger seemed fun. And, and I think there's also that faux pas of wrestling we talked about before. I think a little bit yeah. last week with, with Foley about not wanting to get autographs or anything like that. So, uh, there's always that aspect. But I thought of The Green Ranger, that that's fine. And so I went up to the to the table, and the guy was like, "All right, well, you can do uh, uh, eight by tens or 40. And I was like, "I really just want a picture with him." He goes, "If you buy an eight by ten, he'll take a picture with you. He'll do like a selfie." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, sure, okay, I'll take this eight by ten that I don't really want." And so he signed that, and I was like, "They said I could get a selfie with you." And he goes, "Yeah, well, to have this guy take a picture of us." I go, "Oh, cool, thanks." And so that guy took a picture, and so that was really cool. But and he was super nice and very very personable. Took his time with everybody. Um, but again, it's like that's forty bucks. That's a lot of money. Like, and that's not a drop in the hat compared to what some of these wrestlers charge. So, I know. I guess it depends on. Yeah, what I went to, uh, to for my birthday last year. Uh, my wife let me go to uh, Collecticon. Yeah, that was uh, a deal in Kansas City, mostly cards, but it was super fun just because this and it wasn't bad at all. I want to say the parking was. Oh my goodness! But anyway. I think parking was $25, which I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting. And then uh, the ticket itself was only like 20 or 30 But that 20 or 30 included a free Vanilla Ice concert, which was amazing. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, so like 20 30 bucks for the ticket. It was mostly like uh, car- collectible cards, like Pokemon, sports, stuff like that. There was a, a few toys mm-hmm. and Funko Pops and stuff like that. But I don't know. I just saw thirty dollars for a for a Comic Con, and you get a free Vanilla Ice concert. I'm like, ah, oh, sold. I'm there. So uh, went there for my birthday, and there they had uh, the Red Ranger. I can't remember his name. Austin St. Uh, and it, yeah, Austin St. John. And I looked at the prices. And I was like, ah, I just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Plus, you know, I'm getting a free Vanilla Ice concert, and actually, they apparently Vanilla Ice. This is interesting. He he bought some Ninja Turtle movie costume. It's like high quality costumes. And now I don't know who he gets to fill them, but when he goes on concert now, apparently the Ninja Turtles travel around with him because he bought these costumes. So, uh, there's, there's a way to make, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, that's a way to make some money too. I mean, way to, it's kind of like way to know who you are and, and your audience you're playing for. So the, actually I got a picture with the Ninja Turtles, which was free, which that was awesome. 
because I actually probably I would have paid forty, but I might have paid ten dollars, mm-hmm. you know, to get a picture taken with you know the four Ninja Turtles. But yeah, he just stood in this line, you know, it was free, and then everybody else, like I said, was charging forty, fifty dollars. I don't remember who else was there, but uh, then yeah, no, two or three in the afternoon, Vanilla Ice comes out, does you know a dozen songs, and what's great about him is he totally understands at this point who he is and what he's about. So he played like only two or three of his songs and everything else because those are the only ones that people know. <laughs> so uh, the rest of the music, he was just playing covers of like 90s songs, you know, from the era. And the whole concert was all about, let's show them why the 90s were the best decade ever. And, you know, the crowd's all going nuts. And how many of you all were born in the 80s? You know, it's all nostalgia. So he's a pretty, I think he's a pretty smart guy. And I think he knows his. He knows uh, where he lands in pop culture and which how to is, play to it. Which is smart. Like, like you said, like, he could be like, all right, I, I want to play you some of my new stuff. And everyone's like, no, dude, Ice Ice Baby. Let's let's stick with the classics. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, uh, we don't need that new stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. and he played the Ninja Turtle, the song, you know, uh, go Ninja, Ninja go Rap. Ninja, go. go Ninja. Oh, yeah, the whole crowd was, you know, doing it. And, yeah, it was pretty cool. 90s nostalgia, man. I love it. Um, but, yeah, kind of to put a little bow on Nickelodeon game shows, I love these shows. Yeah, well, I, what were we talking about? <laughs> right. I could I could dive into these again. It's weird just talking about it. I really want to turn on Paramount Plus and watch some of these again. I, I know they don't always hold up, but it's still kind of, like, fun. Like, oh, man, these are so cool. I very, agree. Very fun. Well, it's probably about time to spin the wheel again. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Let me pull up my wheel here. And making sure I got that one pulled off. All right. So we got Nickelodeon game shows removed. So let's spin again and see what happens. I'm hoping for Brawl for All. Oh. So we landed on the arcade. Almost, It almost hit the sandlot in the last second and moved to the arcade. So we're talking all about the arcade, man. Like That was that was a huge part of the, of the 80s and 90s, right? Everyone loved the arcade. Yeah, that'll be kind of fun to kind of go through. I don't know how much of the history we, you and I know about it, but, I mean, just kind of from what I assume, arcades were kind of the first place you could go play video games, and then slowly as the home entertainment uh, systems came in, you know, obviously the need for the arcade quickly vanished. And, you know, now I don't know how many actual arcades there are. Usually they're tied in with, like, a Dave and Buster's or, you know, you go, you can eat and then go over here and play some video games. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at one time they were definitely a a smart business, you know, to be a part of. Kids were dumping quarters into those machines. I know I I did. uh, I dumped my fair share of quarters. Well, I I remember, um, you know, we had a Simple Simon's Pizza here locally that had like five or six arcade games, you know, and there was a lot of those around town that had like four or five games. And those are always so much fun. You you know, you get a dollar quarters, you know, my dad gave me a dollar. I go to the cash register, get four quarters and, and it kept kept Mm -hmm. busy for a while. And like you said, now they're all kind of tied into Dave and Buster's and like these big games. But to me, it was just cool to play Mortal Kombat. It was cool to just play Street Fighter, Pinball. You know, Rampage, some of the classics. That's what I remember. And I remember the malls always had an arcade, which was always really cool. You don't see that anymore either. No, not really. I remember, uh, for me, Pizza Hut seemed like they always had a decent amount of arcade games anytime you went and ate with your family. Oh, yeah. 
uh, it, well, like I was, I was thinking about this the other day. A lot of pizza places, I mean, you were in the pizza industry, you know, this, a lot of pizza places don't really oh, have yeah. sit down pizza, you know, restaurants anymore. A lot of them are mostly just carry out at this point. No, interesting fact, because I did work for Pizza Hut for so long. Uh, any new Pizza Hut now, it's kind of company policy. If you're just starting a Pizza Hut from scratch, they don't do dine-in anymore. It's yeah. all delivery and carry-out. So if you have an established Pizza Hut and it's been there and you have the building and it has dine-in, you know, it uh, you know obviously still functions as a dine-in restaurant. But if you're just starting a Pizza Hut, you know, from the ground up and you do have to build a building or maybe rent a space and a outlet mall or something, it's all uh, carry-out and delivery. So, yeah, the days of dine-in are slowly dying, at least for at least for Pizza Hut anyway. Well, what's funny about that, a uh, fun story, and this kind of makes me wonder if that's what happened. Um, my Pizza Hut here locally moved from a restaurant to a shopping center, and it's only it's only uh, carry-out yep. or delivery. And uh, Travis, you know, from TV Toy Cash, Travis Fowler, was at a Pizza Hut just a few weeks ago. And he sent me a picture. He's like, have you ever seen this before? And I was like, I have not. They all got their cups and like they all ordered their drinks and the lady brought out cans of soda for him. And huh. so he like ordered a Coke or whatever. And like, she they didn't have the fountain machine. Yeah. Like they didn't have a fountain machine. So they just brought out cans of Coke. And I'm like, well, that's weird. <laughs> He's like, right. <laughs> I'm like, I've never heard of that. Unless like the machine was broken, which at that point I feel like they'd tell you like, sorry, we only have cans, you know, like, but yeah, definitely bizarre. Yeah, that's kind of, I don't know, that's kind of a sad bit of nostalgia, too. You know, I remember having a lot of good memories going to Pizza Hut's growing up and yeah. getting the breadsticks and playing the video games, and, you know, those were those were good. T- you know, if I was a kid and I had my choice, where do you want to go eat out tonight? It was always, you know, let's go to Pizza Hut. Right, because they have games, exactly, and uh, I think that's that yeah, is a they disappointing they thing. Games, pizza, what else do you want? Exactly. So uh, that'll be coming up. Uh, next week we'll be talking about arcades, so that should be a fun episode. It's my week f- for a plug of the week now. Man, it's kind of hard to to think of all the different things I want to plug, but um, I'm going to plug my buddy Jason Wolf. I probably have before, but uh, I'll, I'll plug the Chop Shop and all the custom figures he does over there. He does amazing work. Follow him at the Art of Jason Wolf on Instagram or Twitter, and see all the cool customs he does. He does custom Hasbro's and he does an amazing job, but he can also do other customs too. I know a good friend of mine, Nate from Ring Skirts, who does amazing figure photography, has had Jason make uh, elite style figures for him. He's gotten some custom heads and gear and done guys like Skinner and Repo Man and stuff that Mattel hasn't tackled yet. So I think that that's really cool. So yeah, give Jason Wolf a follow. Man, and I got, I tell you what, I got a. I got another plug for you. I just listened to the latest episode. Well, won't be by the time this comes out, but uh, the latest episode of TV Toycast with Jason as your co-host, and that was a great episode. So you guys did a, a good job on that. That was uh, he's an interesting guy to listen to. So yeah, for sure. I, I always have a good time talking. Enjoyed to him. enjoyed the episode. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was it was a lot of fun having him on. So yeah, check that out. Um, that's our plug of the week. Make sure to give us a follow at the Rumble Wheel on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And uh, let people know about the show. If you enjoy the show, you think it's a lot of fun, tweet it, Facebook it, all that good stuff. Let people know so we get more people checking out our show. And that's all we got this week. And we'll be back next week with some more weekly nostalgia. Thank you guys for checking out the show. And we will see you next week. <laughs>